This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotny. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio. This week is episode number 502, and we welcome Mr. Ted Benson of Benson Wood and Unity Homes. And we're expecting Bob Krell to join us any time now from Healthy Indoors Magazine. We're going to talk a little bit about a better way to build, and then uh, we're going to go over a little industry update with Mr. Krell. Before we do, we want to thank our marquee sponsors. IAQ Radio marquee sponsors are John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at healthyindoors.com. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Particlesplus.com. Count on us. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question. Hello, everyone. Congratulations to Victor Cafaro, Richmond, Virginia, who was first to identify that silver bullets were originally believed to be the only way of killing werewolves or other supernatural beings. The IQ radio question for today, Friday, April 27, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's question. On a set of electrical plans, what does the triangle represent? Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. All right. Today's main guest is going to be Ted Benson. He's an author, a building pioneer, founder, and CEO of Bensonwood and Unity Homes. He founded Bensonwood Homes in 1973, and they branched into Unity Homes in 2012. We'll talk a little bit about that. He's devoted his life to developing a better way to build, a key figure in the revival of timber framing in America. He was one of the founders of the Timber Framers Guild of North America and has authored four books on the subject. After spending many years with the Bensonwood team developing processes, systems, logistics, and technology, Ted went on to found Unity Homes, now a sister company, with objectives to make high-performance homes affordable and normal. He's a nationally known speaker and presenter and has received many awards, including an honorary doctorate from Unity College and most recently the Granite State Award in recognition of his statewide national influence on best building practices. Hello, Ted. Do we have you on the line? You sure do, and I'm pleased to be here. Well, we were so thrilled to have you, Ted. I was I was looking at the lineup of speakers at the uh, Maine Indoor Air Quality and Ex- Energy Expo coming up May first uh, and second up in Portland, Maine, and I saw the description of your presentation and I thought I've got to talk to him if I can pull this off, and we we pulled it off. So uh, great to have you here. 
I'm, I'm a kind of building science geek. I love my building science stuff. I have a little construction company. My son operates on the, on the side here when I'm not doing my IAQ stuff. And, uh, I'm wondering, let's start with your, your construction background. We talked earlier, you said you started in the 70s doing construction. How did you get started? Yes. Well, um, I was, you know, working like many young people, I think. You know, I was working my way through high school and college uh, doing uh, carpentry uh, on the side, you know, initially in the summer and weekends and and uh and you know that was a way to um earn my education but uh as i started that doing that carpentry work um out in colorado um this was near colorado springs you know i have to say that much of that experience was not particularly good uh that is um i think you know, the attitude of people on the building site was a little disappointing and some of the work that we were doing uh, out uh, east of Colorado Springs building new homes was also, even as a young man, uh, uh, and and not an experienced carpenter at that point, I, I was disappointed in the quality of, of home we were building. So even then, I thought we could do better. Uh, later, I moved to the uh, East Coast to finish college and um, and resumed doing some carpentry and building work in the Boston area. And there I experienced something completely different. Um, you know, second, third generation carpenter builders who were proud of their craft and disciplined and skilled and, uh, you know, more of a highbrow attitude toward the craft and trade. And it was also there that I was introduced to the ancient form of building uh, timber framing, which was dominant in throughout the world and in North America until uh, the late 1870s. And so many of the homes and barns and so on that we were renovating or remodeling in the Boston area were timber frames. And that, that was my introduction to, you know, that craft and trade. So uh, later when I, became more dedicated to the idea of building, I kind of put the two together, that is my disappointment in uh, conventional construction and my inspiration about timber framing and said, you know, we've got to develop a better way to build. Why not revive that ancient craft and bring it into the uh, 20th century? So as a young, you know, carpenter, builder, a little bit idealistic, a little bit unrealistic. Uh, that was, you know, that was the vision and vision and mission um, of our company as we launched it. So you were you from Colorado originally, and then you moved out to the East Coast, or how did that work? Yes, exactly. And okay. uh, you know, why why would anybody move from Colorado? you know, sunny Colorado to um, to New England, cold and sometimes dark and wet New England. Uh, it's only because I chased a wonderful woman. So, we hear that <laughs> so you, you know, I hope you can appreciate that. Absolutely. And you look beautiful area up there. Um, we were talking before the show, you're kind of on the border of Western, uh, Western New Hampshire and, and almost, you know, uh, on the border with Vermont. 
Exactly. We're, we're uh, just adjacent to the Connecticut River, which divides uh, New Hampshire from Vermont. And so our, our primary facilities are uh, very, very close to the border. Pretty area, too. What, tell, tell listeners a little bit about what makes timber framing different from conventional construction and what the advantages are to timber framing. Well, starting, you know, starting with kind of the traditional form, uh, you know, timber framing is the oldest form of wood building construction. It goes back, you know, 2000 years. And, uh, you know, people are familiar with timber framing if they've seen photos or had the good fortune to experience firsthand seeing, you know, cathedrals and manor halls in Europe or you know, the barns and uh, town halls and churches of early America, um, those were all timber frames. And almost any building that you see throughout the country, if it was built before 1870, is probably a timber frame. And so what timber frame is, um, you know, kind of specifically, it's in the traditional form, it's the art and craft of using wooden joinery and large section timbers to make a complete building structure. And so you imagine column and beam, as you might have seen in old photos of barns and, and churches of these beautiful um, large section timber structures that um, are basically built uh, early America. As we've brought it into the 20th century and now the 21st century, you know, it has changed. Um, you know, we still use wooden joinery. We still think it's very, very practical to use wooden joinery uh, in combination with modern tooling. Um, but the structures are not not always, you know, in their traditional form. Uh, they're often in, you know, very contemporary buildings, you know, including um, educational facilities um, as well as homes and barns. And and so we've used the same kind of structure, but uh, brought it into contemporary architecture. Ted, Cliff has a follow-up. Before we go to that, though, I just want to mention for you that we have a photo of that uh building that we talked about earlier, the Ken Burns building here, that I, I'm assuming this is pretty standard uh, timber frame. Yeah, exactly. And uh, if if all of the people viewing can see that photo, you'll see large section posts. Um, the, fo uh, the post on the left is white oak, as an example. Uh, many of the other timbers are hemlock from the local area. And it, basically, that's the closest material to a tree in almost every case. And uh, and then and then what you're seeing, if you look carefully at that photo, is the wooden joinery that connects that uh, timber structure. So that's a pretty classic barn form that we're looking at. Uh, we we actually used a barn that is elsewhere on Ken Burns land as a model for developing the, um, the structure for this building. 
And for those that are wondering, in the middle, on the bottom row, you can see Ted. Uh, he's the tall gentleman in the black shirt, and Ken Burns is right next to him, to his to his left, to our right on the photo. And he is the Ken Burns we think about when we think about the Civil War and other uh, other documentaries. Cliff, you want to follow up on that? Yeah, I do. Uh, Ted, thanks for joining us. But both Joe and I live in areas that are probably within an hour of where there are a lot of Amish. And I was wondering, and they build a lot of barns, of course, and do a lot of construction. Yeah. I wonder whether you got any inspiration from what they do and how they do it, or if you're doing something completely different. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good question. Yeah. In the early, uh, days of, of trying to rediscover the craft, um, I did have the opportunity to connect with an Amish community in Pennsylvania, in, um, uh, Eastern Pennsylvania. And, uh, and, you know, I, I did learn, um, some things from that group, but, um, but also, you know, their, their methodology and their um, tolerances are a little different than what you might find in some of the um, higher, I'm just going to call them higher end homes uh, that you might see in New Hampshire and Massachusetts and, you know, even Virginia, um, Maine, where the joinery is almost at a furniture quality. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, since we were trying to make a kind of structure that would be visible in living spaces, we were really searching for that furniture quality kind of joinery. The Amish see it differently. They see it as total utilitarian. Um, you know, it, nothing artsy about it <laughs> and certainly nothing furniture like about it. So they're, tendency is to you know kind of go for the kind of cruder barn form rather than the finished I'll, I'll just call it um, cathedral form that you know we were trying to aspire to but uh, incredible craftsmen and incredibly good people um, and you know I'm still thankful for the information that they provided in my early years thank you Ted, I just also wanted to point out now, and you can ask, we'll use this photo for just a moment. Um, one of the other big differences between you and others that may do, may still do timber frame construction is that you do a lot of the work in a, in a plant, in a, in a manufacturer, in a facility essentially, and then ship it in parts to the site. Um, was this one done that way? Yes. And yes. there's the crew. This so, um, the, the, yeah, the in this in this case, the the uh, the finished building is about um, ten miles or twelve miles from our one of our primary uh, facilities, and so the timbers were cut and shaped. Uh, joinery was fashioned in that facility, and when we went out to raise the frame, that was done in a day. You know, this this photo was taken at the end of a day of work. Um, and that sounds miraculous, except for understanding that all the pieces, all the timbers uh, were cut, shaped, joined, um, you know, with high precision so that the um, structure itself could be assembled efficiently, effectively and safely on the building site. Uh, let me ask this. Ted. Do you build this 
at your facility and then take it apart or do you just build it in a way where you can put it together? And we're going to put a picture of the facility up while we're talking about this. Okay. Um, we, we don't prefit. Um, and, and the reason of course, is just practicality. If we had to prefit or preconstruct the entire building, um, that would reduce some of the efficiency. So, we completely rely on a good process and good procedures so that the individual pieces um, are certain to have uh, a predictable mating with the joining piece without having to prefit. And of course, that was a part of our learning and development um, in the early years that was critical to our economic efficiency. You know, we had to be able to compete out there in the marketplace with our timber frame structures. So um, one of the secrets was this whole process of individually making the pieces without having to uh, prefit. And we're, we've got the photo up now of the uh, factory and we're, we're showing some, looks like some wall sections being built. Um, you got zip panels on the outside, it looks like. And um, yeah. a lot of this is very much automated, although it looks like you have maybe 100 people working in that plant or working for the company on the last photo. Those were all your employees, correct? Yeah. Yes. So um, but let's, let's talk about the, um, the company associates, and then I'll say something about the plant. Okay. Um, so we have about 120 uh, company associates, um, but that includes um, architects. Uh, professional designers, drafters, uh, structural engineers, building scientists, uh, of course, administration um, group, uh, project managers, because we obviously have to manage the construction of our, our buildings, as well as uh, a team of woodworkers who do millwork and fine woodworking, um, the timber frame group, that uh, is primarily responsible for buildings like the one you previously had up. And then a building systems production group that is producing our insulated walls, uh, roof panels, and floor structures so that we can assemble entire uh, building enclosures uh, quickly and efficiently. So there's, you know, the company is kind of broad, but it's vertically integrated to include, you know, try to include the whole building from architecture, uh, you know, to project management so that we're able to do turnkey. And then in production, um, woodworking, timber framing, and, and uh, building enclosures. And so the factory I think you're showing is the building enclosure factory. Um, and much of that is indeed very automated. There's uh, the most advanced equipment in the world in that facility with um, automated wall machines from Germany. Uh, there's a cutting and shaping machine from Germany. Uh, there's a insulation delivery machine from Austria. There's a robotic uh, pick and feed uh, machine from France. So, <laughs> so it's... Um, you know, world-class facility for sure, one of the most advanced um, you'll ever see. And the intention is to use all of that um, sophisticated automation 
and production capability to make high-performance buildings more affordable. If we can produce them quickly, efficiently, accurately on a production line, we also you know, intend to kind of drive the cost down so that these higher quality buildings can be more available. You know, Ted, another reason that I, I really wanted to get you on the show is I, I think this is the future of building, and, and obviously you, you do as well. Um, how many, do you have any competitors that are, that are doing anything similar other than, you know, the, the, the typical manufactured housing industry, which I think is, is a little different than what you're doing here? Um, is there anyone else doing this type of construction in the country? Yeah, um, th there's a couple of that I'll point out because I, I think of them as, um, uh, let's call it coopetition instead of competition, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> co cooperative competitors. And uh, so one is called Blueprint Robotics. Uh, they're down in Baltimore. Um, and they have a very similar kind of uh, production facility as ours. Uh, in fact, with the same um equipment from germany the same uh, uh panelized production equipment from germany so i think highly of them and i think highly of their mission and um you know and i'm sure that they'll do very well because uh, they're also um well financed and and should you know do well in the industry there's another that just got started in uh arizona in the Phoenix area, they're called Katera. Um, they also have facilities in um, Spokane, Washington, I think. And they've just started to uh, set up their factory and they're using equipment from Sweden as opposed to the uh, equipment that we have from Germany. But the Swedish equipment is really, really good. And, you know, there's no, um, no, no compromise. Um, it's just, you know, a different company with a uh, different kind of equipment. So th there are three of us, I think, um, that are focused on panelized production with closed panel, that is insulated panels where we're able to deliver, uh, you know, complete wall, roof panels, floor panels, including, you know, windows and doors installed and insulated at a high level. Ted, what, what, I'm sure you use several types of insulation, but is there one that you use more often than others? Yeah, we're currently using uh, cellulose and wood fiber uh, as our primary uh, insulation method. Okay. Um, and so the, the equipment that we have from Austria automatically uh, delivers the, the um, cellulose to the open cavities with uh, you know very predictable density, so that we get the performance that we intend on a consistent basis. So, you know, we're also able to use um, other you know fiber-based um, products. You know, it could be fiberglass, for instance. Um, it could even be mineral wool. Um, but but we want it to be fiber-based so that we're um, delivering the loose fiber into the open cavity because we have so much more control and we can ensure the density and the performance um, better than we can with bat insulation. Interesting. And do you use any foam, spray foam or um, any, 
any closed cell phone or open cell phone? Yeah, um, just to make a point, um, we spent uh, 25 years um, using foam products mm -hmm. um, and, and were pioneers in the use of SIPs. So, uh, you know, I, I have no judgment about it, <laughs> but, but we decided um, some years ago to get away from foam. And, and part of it had to do with uh, the indoor air quality in our, in our um, working environment, in our factories and uh, production studios. And the other part had to do with um, cost variability that was always um, a, a little bit difficult for us. Um, you know, as uh, petroleum spikes, <laughs> you know, usually would indicate a spike in the cost of the product and, and they never seem to go down. So for um, better air quality in our work environment and for lower cost for the insulation material, those are the reasons we went to um, uh, cellulose and wood fiber. You mentioned cellulose and wood fiber. I've got a text question actually from Bob uh, Krell. What about hemp? Is, is Are you using any hemp or are you looking that, at that as a new insulation option? Um, it's it's a good product. We've experimented with it, so we, we certainly know about it. And uh, um, just, you know, it's a little bit expensive at this point, uh, a little bit niche. Um, the same thing, I'd say the same thing about wool. There's there's some uh, companies out there that are trying to bring wool into um, into the building uh, industry as a viable uh, insulation material, and it's a really good product. It's just a little expensive at this point, so hemp is uh, similar in that respect. You know, Where um, cellulose is is just you know widely available and uh, and really quite inexpensive for uh, what it is. We also had a, a, gra a photo up here. I want to go back to that, John. And it looks like it's in the plant. Um, I know you can't see this, but your, your whole crew's there. And one guy up in the front's got a big wrench. He's holding up in the air. And <laughs> kind of, it looks yeah. like maybe that's a, a CLT, a, a cross-laminated timber maybe. Um, can you Do you know what picture I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah I, I do. The, uh, the truss um, is a, um, what we call a mass timber. Uh, truss that it's uh, those are glue lamb uh, timbers in the top cord and the bottom cord of, uh, of this big uh, massive truss and those were a part of the common ground school that we built in central Connecticut um, which had a combination of a mass timber structure and CLT uh, panels that were used for the uh, wall panels and for the um, roof panels what so they, that was a a fairly unique project in which you know we were really celebrating the use of of uh, CLTs and and mass timber. Fascinating, interesting, and there's a uh, John just put up a, a graphic we found online of a CLT for for those of you that aren't familiar with that type of construction. All right, look, you know, you also mentioned in your your yeah. bio um, there was. Um, this work has taken the company to nearly every state in the United States. Oklahoma is a holdout, as well as Canada, England, <laughs> Japan. 
And, you know, before the show, we talked a little bit about, you know, you're done working in Colorado and you had to truck things out to Colorado and it might take up to five trucks to, um, to put one home on three to five trucks. I think we, we talked about why yeah, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Out? Is, uh, what's up with Oklahoma? There's just nobody there buying. <laughs> one. <laughs> well, you, you know, we're, we're honestly just lucky, uh, to have, had the opportunity to travel throughout uh, North North America and and uh, and put up these structures. So you know we go to where the interest is, and you know for whatever reason we haven't heard from Oklahoma yet. So if there's any listeners out there from Oklahoma, here we are, <laughs> and you know we're we're available and and ready to go. Great. <laughs> um, Great. But yeah, so we, we've been, for instance, uh, to Alaska on several projects. We put up two in Hawaii. Um, we've been to England. We put up uh, two homes in Japan. Uh, so, you know, there's really, you know, kind of worldwide interest in, you know, really high quality uh, building. I, I will say that, you know, just to, to make sure your listeners understand that, when we ship over, you know, a really long distance, it is a premium. You know, it is a cost premium to, you know, get that building up because of the shipping distance. But it's also, you know, an extraordinary uh, quality uh, structure and building. And and so there are some places where, you know, we can compete at that kind of premium level, um, which is why someone would bring us to Alaska or Colorado or also recently we were in Idaho um, so when that happens it's because there's interest in our extraordinary quality I know you're also interested in bringing this this type of building and technology to um, more of the masses let's say the, the people that maybe can't afford the the highest quality but yeah might be looking for something more economical. Can you talk to listeners a little bit about your, your efforts in that, uh, in that area? Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, that's, that's actually the reason why we founded unity homes. Um, basically to take everything that we had learned and developed, including our factory production and our software development, um, our processes and, efficiency to bring that into the middle and lower market. And, and so that was the reason for Unity Homes. And the difference is in Unity, we've standardized a lot of the um, building geometry and the kind of the library of building elements so that there's more production repetition in our products. And we've simplified uh, the buildings that we offer in Unity so that we can make, you know, these really high quality um, homes and, and buildings more available and more affordable. But to, ma- to make a point, uh, Joe, that you were just referring to, because of that, Unity does not ship as far. Um, you know, we're pretty, we're, we, we stay pretty close to the uh, northeast, uh, you know, a 400 mile radius. Uh, is fairly practical for Unity, and uh, and that is to keep the cost down, so we're not doing any extraordinary shipping um, cost in order to deliver, you know, our Unity homes uh, at a more 
affordable and normalized price. And and this mission in unity is so important to our company and, and to what we believe in that our long-term intention is to um, build factories in other states so that we can bring that product um, regionally, you know, to other parts of the country. And so we are actively looking at um, other geographies that would make sense for Unity's growth. And we expect that we'll be making those kinds of decisions in the next uh, three to five years. If you ever consider southwestern Pennsylvania, let me know. I love, I love what you're doing. <laughs> we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, a little more about the the levels of um, certification. So, for instance, uh, you you have passive house on your on your list of things you can do. Lead certification, yeah. DOE, zero energy ready. Uh, we're going to talk a little yeah. bit more about that, but first we've got to stop and thank our sponsor. IAQ okay. would like to thank our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at IAQA.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them. WolfSense.com. IAQ marquee sponsors are John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at JohnDon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at HealthyIndoors.com. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. And I also want to mention our newest association sponsor, the Restoration Industry Association, uh, one of the one of the premier associations for those of you in the restoration industry. So look forward to uh, working with them a lot more in the future. And we've got one more coming on next week. I'm just going to leave a teaser out there and let you know we've got another new sponsor coming on. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've, uh, we've, we've got Ted back on the line, Ted Benson, Benson, uh, Benson Wood and Unity Homes. Ted, let's, let's talk a little bit more about some of these programs you've been uh, working with and, and developing homes for. And while you are uh, doing that, John's going to put up a few more uh, graphics here. One, the first one is the school. Um, you know what? Maybe first we could talk a little bit about this one, Ted. It's a school um, the photo shows the gym, looks like a garage door that's open. Somebody's playing a little basketball in there. I believe it's a school unless it's somebody that, uh, built a, a little community center or a home with a basketball hoop in it. Do you know which one I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not sure, but I think that is actually a, a, a home. That's, oh. that's a home with a, with a, uh, recreation center and, uh, uh, um, it also has a large dining room and a kitchen so that they can entertain lots of neighbors. So that's actually a private residence. Well, the one I'm and, seeing, looks like it's got maybe some <laughs> lab desks or something like that in a, an entrance to the right here on the second floor. Oh, oh, that's a, that's a different one. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, 
that is a school. Uh, it's a it's an outdoor focused education center in uh, in Peru, Vermont, and it's a very it's a very unique building. Um, you'll see the timber structure in there, I, and I'm not entirely sure which photo you're seeing, but if it has some um, uh, natural logs as a part of the construction and uh, white pine that comes from this area uh, for the rafters and some of the columns. It was, um, it was designed to be net zero, so to produce as much energy as it uses. It was also designed to be lead platinum um, so you know that that was a very high level of of green certification and in order to achieve that as I think you guys know um, you have to hit certain requirements about the materials about the site about water about energy um, and about green attributes including low uh, toxicity of, of the materials and uh, ventilation and you know it kind of just hits on everything sure. um, so that was that was a pretty special project and and quite successful in terms of actually achieving you know some very high goals um, net zero and lead platinum and this is all pretty much wood you don't see much steel or concrete in this building do you no um, the roof and, metal. you know, certainly <laughs> the let's, let's celebrate wood. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, that's, that's a good example of what I was talking about earlier, where that is a, a, a rather contemporary structure um, with a timber frame in it, but not a timber frame like you would see in an ancient barn or, you know, an old house or an old town hall. It's really our modern um, iteration of the ancient craft putting a timber structure with wooden joinery and you know, lots of other wood with the panels and the walls and so on um, to make a you know a wonderfully attractive warm beautiful environment mostly just plain celebrating the material itself you know we're, we're putting up a couple other ones here put this one up John. this is a, a lake home uh, beautiful home here. We've, I'm just kind of going through some of these and while we're talking a little bit about these programs. Now, you, you do the lead, uh, and I assume this is if people want them. I'm, I'm wondering how often do people who purchase a home, let's say, uh, request something like lead certification? Very seldom. Okay. <laughs> you know, to be honest, it's very, very seldom. However, you know, sometimes we want to achieve um, some level of certification. And because our buildings are inherently, you know, so green and so energy efficient, usually we don't have to work really hard to get, you know, to some level of LEED certification. Uh, so sometimes it may be for our benefit to, you know, have another um, lead certification under our belt, but but you know generally clients don't want to pay for um, uh, the administration of it, for instance. Sure. And you know some sometimes it's necessary to uh, do something extra to get a point, um, and and it it you know sometimes that costs extra money, and for most 
homeowners, I'll, I'll be honest and say uh, a LEED certification isn't necessarily tied to more, more value in most parts of the country. It's not true everywhere. I think in California, it's been recognized a little bit more and, and seems to have a uh, inherent real estate value, but I wouldn't say that's necessarily true um, in the areas that we primarily work. No, I, we've only got about five minutes left. I know you've got to run, but um, I wanted to ask you about the net zero energy. That's the DOE program. Are all of your homes now uh, net zero or net zero ready? Or what? if not, what percentage of them are? All, all of the unity homes, um, you know, fit that category. Um, and, and the reason is that we, you know, they're all high performance. So they're using, um, a very you know thick wall and uh, roof uh, membrane, and they're all uh, tend to be triple glazed, so triple glazed windows, mm -hmm. and so the performance is automatically high, and therefore we use no fossil fuels in the Unity homes. It's all air source heat pumps, and given the fact that we're all electric. It's pretty easy with the performance and the all-electric attributes to get to net net zero and to achieve the requirements of the net zero ready um, DOE program. But some of the Unity homes are larger, and some of those use um, uh, you know propane or gas or or other uh, energy sources um, and don't rely completely on on uh, electric i think john may have been reading my mind here my engineer he put up a photo and the caption on it is uh, vermont passive large sky uh -huh. and and i'm wondering if that <laughs> rings a bell for you Ted. yeah so we we have done several um passive passive house projects and uh, for those who are unfamiliar with that, it's it's really the highest energy standard in the world. It was a program that came out of uh, Germany, but it's now uh, practiced in many parts of the world and a whole uh, host of, of builders across uh, North America have now adopted Passive House as a as a uh, standard in some cases or as an option in others. And uh, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, the idea of passive house is to be so energy efficient that you don't need a heating system at all. Hmm. Now, in truth, you know, you don't always achieve it. And so most of the passive houses have some form of backup heat, you know, in case, you know, of the, of the worst case scenario. Um, but, but they are absolutely remarkable with the one that you're looking at has an R62 roof and uh, 51, I think on the walls. And so the walls are like 14 to 16 inches thick. The roof are 18, 20 inches thick. Um, so, I, I'm a fan of Passive House. I, I think it's a great idea um, and really pushes the envelope, you know, with air tightness and ventilation and indoor air quality being, you know, really heightened as, a, as an attribute. Uh, where, where I've stepped away from it a little bit is 
you know, I don't know that we're not going to get to affordability if all of the buildings need to be at a passive house level. So the unity homes have kind of stepped down a little bit, just below passive house, mm -hmm. so that we can achieve the same thing in air tightness, which is free. It's just good workmanship. And we can provide the same kind of ventilation. We can also um, use air source heat pumps, um, you know, because we have a low energy load. So, um, so yes, we do some passive houses, but not, not always passive houses. And, uh, and you're looking at a photo of one of them. Yeah, I think we now have the photo of the interior up. I could be wrong. It looks like there's a wood burner in there though. Is that? Yeah, that's no. a, that's their, that's their only backup. Gotcha. Well, <laughs> I know. And, uh, and this is in, that one's in Northern Vermont. Um, so, it, you know, it's remarkable what, what they've achieved with that. Ted, I, I know you've got to run here shortly. I got one more. Um, actually, I had two more questions, but um, one of them is, I think, hopefully, quickly get this one, then we'll get to the last one. What do you think as far as the use of 3D printing, uh, robotics with construction? Is that is that coming our way? Um, robotics, for sure. Uh, you know, at some level of robotics, for sure, you're going to see more and more of that. And in fact, I think I mentioned it earlier that in our factory, we actually have some robotics. Um, we have a we have a new uh, machine for our timber construction that is actually called a robot drive. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, it's just remarkable what this machine can do, you know, with its six axis has a, a tool magazine with uh, 14 different tools and a, a single robot arm that can grab any tool and work from any side and do anything. It could, you know, it could carve Edison's head on the end of a timber. So, so robots, robots are coming and robots um, are relevant right now. 3D printing, I think it's a, a little further down the road. On the other hand, I think where it will become most important and relevant in the industry is in the uh, shaping of certain kinds of components rather than the whole buildings, just given, you know, the scale of things. Building whole homes is, you know, it's a linear process and it's possible, but I don't think it's immediately practical. But buildings, you know, using a 3D printer to make some parametric building components. I see that in the near future. Excellent. Ted, I think you kind of answered the last question other than, um, you know, I was talking about what the future looks like and you kind of just answered that. Is there anything you'd like to add before we go? Well, I, I guess the, the what I would add, just because we didn't get into indoor air quality in your indoor air quality show, <laughs> uh, is that, you know, the, the great outcome of high-performance buildings, you know, the number one outcome is healthier buildings. Um, you know, we're focused, you know, also on energy efficiency and air tightness and reducing the energy load and getting off of fossil fuels. But the thing that matters most, you know, to our customers is a healthier building with more fresh air and, you know, less pollutants in the environment. And by getting to, you know, this higher performance, you also get to, 
you know, that better air quality standard. And since we had not mentioned that, I, I thought we should before the show is over. Well, I appreciate you doing that. Uh, you know, if you've ever ever need another job, let me know. We can help have you help us out here. I, I appreciate it. This has been great. Uh, very, very enjoyable. Very nice to talk to you and, and get a chance to look at what you're doing. We're, we've been putting up some other photos of uh, projects of yours. We've got one up by a lakeside right now. Beautiful home. Uh, you're, you're doing some great stuff, and I think you are the future of uh, this industry. So, Ted, thanks again for joining us. Well, uh, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation a lot. All right. And uh, let's go over to Mr. Bob Crow. Bob, do we we have you on? There he is. Hi, Bob. No video, no audio. audio. No, I was muted here, too. Hey, how are you? Great, buddy. How are you? Uh, You know, living the dream, guys. Yeah, anything you'd like to add He's to in the green room, Joe. He's in the green room. Well, you, well, you know, quick qualifier on that. We're we're completely torn apart to be set for the IAQ and Energy Show next year, or next week, I should say. So um, we've torn our studio apart and taking a ton of the video gear with us. So this is what is left, green screen and a computer. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to give us the weather station there. I, I mean, you know, well, no, I can't do that today. you got to okay. wait till next week for that. So how was the uh, home performance conference? It was good. It was good. Um, it was attended, you know, I, the report I got from their staff was it, it was around 1,400 attendees, um, okay. which, you know, I think is a good turnout for an event being, a, you know, a lot of the industry events we're seeing, you know, certainly on the indoor environmental side, don't come anywhere near that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so that's, you know, to me, that's good numbers based on what we're, you know, what we're seeing on other events. Um, big, uh, big theme there. I mean, the, the big theme was, was uh, healthy buildings. I mean, it really was. That's, uh, really? I didn't have an opportunity to see a lot of uh, sessions, you know, because we were there with the magazine as an exhibitor. So you know how that goes, you know, mm-hmm. stuck in the booth 90% of the time. But so the healthy buildings thing was the big theme. And that's now for those of you that aren't familiar with that particular conference, it's primarily people in the uh, energy world, I guess the home performance guys that mm-hmm. are out there air sealing and, and insulating homes. And they, uh, they they are really putting a big push on to get into uh well i guess part of the they're looking at you know while we're also trying to help with energy and and durability of homes we're also helping to improve indoor air quality why don't we go ahead and promote that a little bit more is that kind of what you're seeing Bob? yeah i think it goes a bit deeper than that though um they are you know like bpi uh has launched the healthy home evaluator program you know uh, kevin kennedy joe madosh are uh, big on that um and uh there's so i th- i think there's there is definitely a, a drive from from that industry to meld uh you know meld the indoor environmental community into the building performance community which honestly makes a lot of sense i mean we, we went that route years ago you know i was a bpi certified contractor what 12 years ago mm-hmm. um because it, it does make sense holistically you you know you need to i think you need to look at a building um Practically, you know, from the environmental standpoint, um, you know, both the indoor air quality and the energy performance and the sustainability of the facility. Well, if you want to continue making a living in this business, um, that's something you'll at least consider. Mm-hmm. And I know it, it did, you know, helped you, and it's been good for me to be involved with these guys as well. Uh, let me go back, though, to a, a more, you know, I, I read your interview with. Uh, Greg Long in the last Healthy Indoors magazine, actually 
last month, I guess it was. And, Susan Valenti uh, and I both. I mean, she actually was more of the interviewer. I was more of the interviewee in that one. But anyway. Susan, and she did a great job. And, and I thought it was fascinating to see that you both kind of agreed that um, the whole indoor air quality world kind of morphed out of NADCA's early days to some degree. I mean, is, is that did I catch that right? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if we can take total credit for creating the indoor air quality industry. I think that would be a yeah, that'd be a bit pompous, but um, but no, but I do think we were a driving factor from the actual uh, practitioner side. You know, I I do think we had a lot to do. You know, I mean, you certainly had the uh, the regulatory and the academia, uh, you know, doing their thing. But we we definitely, I think, were able to uh, bring the practitioner into the discussion. So so I so I do think we influenced it. Yes, and that organization seems to be doing well. Um, did- I want to make sure I'm right. Were you at their conference as well this year? Yeah, I keynoted a session there. Uh, was like a month ago, uh, a month and a couple of days. Um, you know, t- typical attendance. I mean, they draw. They, it's it's a small conference, but it's with uh, very big production. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they, seriously, it's a very high end produced conference. I mean, you know, they they use uh, you know a high end production company to do their sound and audio. Uh, or sound and lighting, and uh, yeah, it just it's it, it's a well done affair. Um, they, they've gone to upper level hotels in the last several years with their conventions, which makes it a little cost prohibitive, probably for you know some people. But it's certainly, a, it's a high end event. Yeah. This yeah. How many people do they get? Three, three hundred, maybe three, three fifty, four hundred. I mean, I, I, you know, it's hard. To, that's another one of those. I, I flew in, did my presentation, you know, and I was out the next day, so I only saw a fraction of it. Uh, but what I saw looked like it was fairly well attended. I mean, they, they usually they're able to draw about twenty five, thirty, maybe even forty percent of their members in, in engagement, which you know they only have about a thousand members ish, and, and they bring a lot of them there. Did you get through the exhibit hall at all? Were you able to look at around? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Anything new? <laughs> um, eh, you know, that, that's that's one of the things Craig and I were talking about. I I don't see a lot of change happening. Um, I mean, there's always new things. I should, that that that's not fair. But you know, I I haven't seen any massive evolution since the days you know back in the '80s when we were taking chim scan uh, cameras and taping them to chimney sweep brushes and stuffing them through the damn things. You know, it's like, so I, eh, you know, I mean, yes, it, it, in all fairness, yes, there's some advancement, but it still seems like it's still the, uh, you know, the, the same mindset. And when I, I know you were at IAQA, um, there was another one where you interviewed Martin O'Malley. What conference was that? That was the New York State Green Building Conference earlier this month. Um, that, yeah, that was, uh, that show always draws about 300 people. It's a regional event, um, but gets fairly high profile speakers and it's a really good, uh, you know, um, sustainability conference. You know, the green building name maybe is starting to become dated, but that's their name. So they stick with it, but they they talk a lot more about resiliency and sustainability issues than, you know, just green building. Have I missed any that you attended this year that, that we didn't go over? Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, I mean, nothing that would probably be of interest to the viewers. Um, I'm, you know, we've got one coming up, you know, so that's, uh, well, that's, that's you know, where I wanted to go next. You, you know, you've got this, uh, uh ambitious project. I want to say, Bob. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> some guess- might say, some might say it's Don Quixote, uh, you know, and my, <laughs> and my boy Dave and I on his donkey going after the windmill, you know, but, um, 
That yeah. should be interesting. So tell uh, us a little bit about what you're planning to do at the um, Northeast IAQ and Energy Expo, I believe is the name of that one. That's the old name. The, the no. name is actually IAQ and Energy 2018. So what, what this is is the 19th annual conference sponsored by the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council. So a uh, new name adopted this year, the IAQ and Energy 2018. It's in Portland, Maine next week. Uh, May 1st and 2nd, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, it's an event that usually gets, you know, 300, you know, it's somewhere between 275, 350 people consistently. They've been known for always having really high level pres presentations there. For a small regional event, they draw really big name people. So uh, they, their organization approached us last year uh, as to whether we could do a live stream component of that conference. They wanted to be able to take you know, this, this really cool regional boutique event and offer it to a, you know, national slash global audience. So, mm -hmm. um, here we are. So, 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 uh, concurrently we are live streaming two of the four tracks and we're recording all of the tracks, um, with healthy indoors. So we'll be, we'll be actually doing it as a live, actually two live television shows. It's one, you know, Joe, like, like you and Cliff doing two shows at the same time. Same Think time. about that. Think about how much fun that would be. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Listen, technically, my, my, you know, again, Dave Daigle, who is, you know, is our lead technical guy here. Um, right, well, He's not here right now, actually, because he's like on a computer somewhere still programming code. He's losing his mind. Uh, yeah. I've done this to him. So. But anyway, <laughs> the, so the event's unique in that, you know, people can watch it remotely as a live streamed attendee. Um, you know, pay-per-view, it's not for free, uh, but you can earn uh, continuing ed credits for watching it online. Our system logs them in, logs them out. Um, some of the CEUs will require little quizzes that they'll have to answer after the fact. But, you know, the, the opportunity is that you can actually attend a high-level live conference, um, you know, from your home or office. And, and if you look at the uh, the speakers on this thing, it's crazy. I mean, you've got Joe Stiebrick, uh closing it up. You've got Sam Rashkin, uh, Larry Zarker, BPI CEO. Um, you know, it just it goes down the line. I, I left so many people out. Bill Turner. I mean, there's 38 presentations. There's 38. I really uh, – I looked down the list, and when I saw Ted's presentation, I was like, I got to – I know oh, it yeah. does, it's not the typical IAQ radio show, but I had to have him because mm – -hmm. It's the future, folks. If you're not, if you don't recognize that um, your homes are going to be built in a in a manufacturing plant in time, I mean, I just I firmly believe that will happen as we continue to build tighter homes, um, more energy efficient, uh, with better ventilation, uh, healthier homes. The control they have in that manufacturing facility is. You can't control that. I mean, you're building a home and, and you know, sloppy, nasty right. weather out here. You've got people delivering construction products and letting them sit out in the rain. And it's just, uh, it's very difficult. You've got, you know, I went and looked at one uh, the other day with a buddy of mine and a four-year-old home, they covered up the, the dryer exhaust with siding, you know, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's not these things, these things happen. No, it's not going to happen if you pre-manufacture. Uh, you it won't know, in a plant. You know, it just won't. You're going to have a. You're going to have somebody doing a checklist and verifying. Does that dryer vent go to the outside? You know. And, I mean, there's plants and plants too. I mean, Ted is a different tier. You know, like you mentioned. You know, typical manufactured housing, which we think of mobile homes. You know, and that's a that's that's a tier of manufactured construction. You know, and then there's then there's Ted's tier, which is like the way it really should be done. Um, above. We, we, way above. 
But there's also other people that have been manufacturing homes for years, and they're getting better, I, I do believe. Mm -hmm. Clearly. Yeah, I mean, we even have one in our region that, that had done that in central New York. Um, I mean, the big thing, you know, that, and that was one of the reasons, you know, I actually, I saw Ted uh, keynote last year at the Green, New York State Green Building Conference, and I suggested to the main group that, you know, we, we should try to attract him as a keynoter uh, since he was in, he lives in the region, but moreover, because his message is amazing. And what, you know, this interview was great that you did with him, but his, he and a plenary session, he's an amazing presenter. He really is. When you see him on stage, he, he grabs you and he hits some very good points. I tried to get him on the video, but it didn't work out. It just didn't work. Uh, well, I'll have my video next week for what it's worth. Right. Anyway, Cliff, is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap it up here with Bob? I just hey, wanted Bob. to wish you uh, good luck uh, with technical challenges that you're, uh, you know, upcoming event where, where you're going to be recording or streaming to live and recording for, and you know, may the force be with you. We're we're going to need it, Cliff. You know, we basically our, our key our, our team is really a four man team. Sean McCumber, you guys know him, um, yes. and also uh, one of my buddies, uh, Greg Orden, who is a video uh, computer guru. So we're basically going to do the work of about a dozen. You know, four of us. Uh, we'll see. We'll. see. We're, we're comfortable with it. And I think, it, you know, I think it might represent a turning point, you know, for some of the way people attend events, you know, previous online events have been horrible. This is a hybrid and that it's a real event, not Sim City, you know, a bunch of people walking around, you know, uh, you know it's real bodies, real people. Joe and I have talked about it for years. You know, we actually can see the day where, no one is there live. You know, it's just a convention people can attend, you know, uh, by saving the expense and travel and so on and so forth. And, you know, you just kind of move from person to person. I think it's coming. Yeah, I, but I think that would suck. <laughs> I think, I, the problem with that is then it's the SimCity thing. You got virtual, you know, robotic characters walking around on your screen. And, and I, I, you know, or even we're going to add components as, as these things you know, progress going forward where we will have these live chat sessions like we're doing here. Um, but you, I still think if you take it and don't have a live event, you don't have the feel of that live audience, it's going to lose so much. You know, it, it's it, it, to just simulate it. You can't simulate a live event. I don't think it has to be live. I don't disagree. You know? <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Bob. Any, Bob yeah, final plug. So the final plug for you, for your listeners, they can actually get a 20% discount. There's a code. We made an IAQ radio code. Actually, All right. I, I talked to the council today. So you get 20% off if you register, which I know it's last minute, but since you don't have to fly or stay in a hotel, you still could do it. So the, their website is IAQANDENERGY.com. You can get there, and the code will be IAQ radio for you guys. That's next week, right? That is next week, yes. It's next Tuesday it starts. Tuesday. Well, that gives us Monday to get the word out a little bit anyway. All right. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Hey, guys. Great always fun. Have always, have you, always love having you. Hello, Susan. Always great to have you join us. And uh, boy, Ted was great. Uh, I loved and uh, really enjoyed talking with Ted Benson today. Benson Wood and Unity Homes. And, of course, Bob Crow, Healthy Indoors Magazine, At The Controls. John, you got to have faith. And, and John, you should have seen his face when you you started putting ideas in my head about doing two things at once. He was like, <laughs>
don't do that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a challenge. And, of course, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, will be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.